All you three-year-olds through kindergarten, you can come down here and meet Miss Morrow and Candace. If you got a Bible, open up to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, and if you would, please, would you stand as we honor the reading of God's Word? We'll start in verse 1. It says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord God blessed the Sabbath day and he made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, and you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the day. Uh, Thank you for your word. Thank you for the Ten Commandments. Thank you for what they expose in us, and how they show us our need for a Savior. Today, may we see Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's just review the Big Ten real quick. Commandment one, there is one God. You worship only Him. Commandment two, since there's one God, we need to worship Him correctly so we don't fashion an idol or anything that we worship Him through. Commandment three, since there is one God and He wants to be worshipped correctly, we don't take that God's name in vain. So we don't use His name in a flippant or irreverent manner. Commandment four is that one day out of seven, we are to rest and to remember the gospel. Commandment five is to honor your father and mother. And what we said is that this command is the bridge between the two tables. Because what God's saying is is that if you can show honor at home, the hardest place to show honor, that'll flow out to everything else you do, and you'll show honor to the rest of society. You won't have problems showing honor to your neighbors. Commandment six is no murder. That means murder, obviously, in the physical aspect, but it also means murder when we devalue people and see them as anything less than the image of God that they are. Commandment seven is no adultery. So it means that we're to value sexual purity for ourselves and our entire household. Commandment eight is you shall not steal. So we do this when we steal time, when we steal resources from our employer, when we're a bad uh, employer um, towards our employees. We do this when we deceive others and, and we steal from them by not being truthful or honest with them. 
Commandment nine is that you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And what we said is this just means not to lie. We're to be truthful. It means that gossip um, is a lie. It means that when we do that, we're murdering the reputation of other people. And I don't know about you, but the last several weeks have been really hard, right? Somebody said last week in home groups, it's like we get done with one, and I kind of go through the week thinking, yeah, I'm doing pretty good. And then we come back and we have to listen to another one. They've been difficult. They're difficult to study. And so I just want you to remember just three things as we wrap up the Ten Commandments today, all right? The first one is this. Remember, these commands come from a loving Father. The the commands that God has given us um, thousands of years later still cannot be approved upon. That these commands deal with every area of our life. They don't deal just with the the, uh, external behavior that people see, but the internal behavior as well. And we have a loving Father who wants to speak to us about the very practical matters of our lives and our hearts. I heard a guy put it this way. It's like, it would be as if you wrote your kids a, a letter and said, clean your room, right? And then they go to the mailbox and they get a letter and go, clean my room, right? That's kind of like, in, it's not very loving, you know, it's kind of impersonal. But when a loving father says, hey, I love you, we need to clean your room, it's a little bit different. This is exactly what's going on here. We said it at the beginning, is that the Ten Commandments are God saying, hey, I want to show you how life works best so you can be safe to play and run in the front yard. That's what it is. So remember that. Two, remember the Ten Commandments, they are not a thermostat that can change the temperature of your heart. They can't. They're a thermometer that can tell you the temperature of your heart. The Ten Commandments diagnose your heart. They do not heal it, right? Remember that. They diagnose our hearts. They don't heal our hearts. They're meant to show you and me how on our own we can't do enough to earn God's love. We need someone who could perfectly keep God's law. And we all know that that person was Jesus. That God came down into human history. He kept all of these laws externally and internally. So he didn't commit adultery, but he also never lusted. He didn't steal, but instead he gave his life for us. Jesus is God who did what we could not do. And the Ten Commandments show us that we can't do it, but Jesus can. And third, we see that the Holy Spirit gives us new hearts. The same Holy Spirit who convicts us of sin through God's law is also the one who brings us to Jesus. See, it's through faith in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection that we're given a new heart, and then we're given new desires. Now when we look at the commands, we desire to obey our loving Father who gave His life for us so that we could be saved. So the Ten Commandments for Christians are the way we please God. It's not as a way to earn his love. Jesus already earned his love for you. It's now because I have that love, I therefore want to live to please my Father. Now, if you've gone through the series with series with us, and you've been like, hey, man, I, I'm pretty good, right? I break a few of these, right? But I, I haven't broke all of them. I'm, I'm all right. You're in luck today, okay? Glad you're here. Because perhaps more than any of the others, this last command is going to give you and I a very accurate picture of what our hearts look like. In fact, this command is is so powerful that the Apostle Paul had deceived himself into thinking that he had kept the Ten Commandments. But then he got to this one. See, what Paul had done is that he had interpreted the commandments as behavior guidelines. That if he did them, he would be okay with God. But then all of a sudden he got to the 10th command and God blew him up. And in Romans 7, verses 7 and 8, he says, What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. 
Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness, right? Got it? For apart from the law, sin lies dead. See, Paul's saying this command isn't about behavior. It's about the desires of the heart. Paul's saying, even when I obeyed all the commandments, like a good little religious boy, internally my heart wanted all kinds of things that were offensive to God. And see, the Tenth Commandment goes straight to the heart. See, all the other commandments start externally, and then they work their way internally. Right? As we went through them all, we can start externally, and a lot of times, like, we look at murder and we go, Oh, yeah, I've never killed anybody, and we think, Okay, I'm good, but then we realize what's going on in our heart. The tenth commandment is the opposite. It is the only one that starts internally, and then it works its way out externally. Philip Ryken says the tenth commandment makes explicit what the other commandments only imply namely, that God requires internal as well as outward obedience. So, Without further ado, let's look at the 10th commandment. Verse 17 of Exodus chapter 20 says, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. So before we jump in, I'm just going to ask you guys a, a series of questions. And what I want you to do is just internally answer them, right? Don't say these out loud. Some of you might be embarrassed if you answer some of these out loud. Just keep it to yourself. So here we go. If you could drive any car, what would it be? If you could have the home of anyone, where would it be? And maybe not a home. Maybe, maybe it's just a certain room that, that some people have, right? Whether it's a nice kitchen or a nice man cave or maybe just a laundry room. I don't know. If you could have anyone's abilities... Mental, physical, spiritual, what would you want? If you could have anyone's physical appearance, who would you look like? Not you, Sid. I saw that. If you could have anyone's possessions, what things would you want? If you could have anyone's spouse, who would you be married to? If you could trade lives with anyone, who would you trade with? See, what we just pointed out is called coveting. And if you answered any of these questions, you're a coveter. And if you didn't, you're a liar. And so either way, God's got a problem with you. Okay? In his commentary on Exodus, John McKay says that coveting is a consuming desire to possess in a wrong way something belonging to another. Coveting was behind the first sin, right? When Eve saw the fruit of the tree, she, she coveted. She lusted after it. She had access to all the trees in the garden, but she had to have that one, right? The garden was awesome. She had everything she wanted, but she didn't trust in what God had given her, and so she longed for other things. And as I was studying this, to me it's interesting that God puts coveting at the end. Because you kind of would think that God would start with the boring things, like obey your parents, right? Don't steal, honor the Sabbath, and then put coveting in there and then work your way up to the really exciting stuff like sex, right? You would think that would be at the end. But instead, God puts coveting last. It's like he bookends the commandments with no other gods and coveting. 
We did this because the reason we, uh, it's there is because coveting is the way that we break all the other commandments. It's the one that ties it in. In the New Testament, when you see the word coveting, it's Greek, it's epithumia. It's translated as lust, or it means a craving or a desire that drives us. So it's a craving after something we feel like we just have to have. Something that we've esteemed to be essential to life, and if we can't have it, then we just can't go on living. And listen, it doesn't have to be a bad thing either. A lot of times the things that we covet are good things, but then they become God things, which then makes it a bad thing because then it becomes an idol, and then we're breaking the first and second commandment. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says this, He says, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, right? And then he says, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. In Colossians 3, 5, Paul says, to put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, got it again, which is idolatry. So I'll give you a few examples of this and show you how coveting is the way that we break all the other commands. In the book of Amos, chapter 8, verses 4 through 6, the prophet says this. He says, Hear this, you who trample on the needy and bring the poor of the land to an end, saying, When will the new moon be over that we may sell grain, and the Sabbath that we may offer wheat for sale, that we may make the ephah small and the shekel great, and deal deceitfully with false balances, that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals and sell the chaff of the wheat. What's happening in Amos uh, chapter 8 here is that the Lord's condemning people who've turned the Sabbath into a way to make a buck, right? Now, we're not saying, we've already talked about this, there are days we have to work on Sunday. We get that. I work on Sunday. We understand that. But many of us break the fourth commandment to take one day out of seven to rest in the gospel because we so covet money that we have to keep working whether we really need to or not. Or we break the fourth commandment because we so desire and covet comfort which goes back to breaking the first and second commands because then comfort becomes our God and we create some sort of an idol to get that. And so we have to keep working to live at a comfortable level. Or maybe we just covet the opinions of others and we have overextended ourselves in debt to try to impress a bunch of people so we have to break the fourth commandment to stay ahead. See? What about Luke 15? A story of the prodigal son is another great example. The son goes and he asks for inheritance from his father. And he says, I want my share of the money right here, right now. He looks at his dad, and in that culture, what he told his dad was this. I would rather have money than have you around and have you in my life, dad, so give me what's mine. What did he just do? He broke the fifth commandment. So he so coveted living life to the fullest and having this money that he was willing to dishonor his father to go and get it. James chapter 4, verse 2. James says this, You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. See, coveting is the way that we break the sixth commandment, not to murder. Right? We have something or somebody has something we want, and so we run them down or we degrade the image of God in another human being. 
Coveting is the way that, that we commit adultery, is it not? We're unhappy with our spouse or we're unhappy in our marriage, and so we believe that somebody else out there will make you happy. In Joshua chapter 7, you read the story of, of Achan. Remember, the Israelites have just went and they've conquered Jericho, and God told them, hey, you don't take anything from uh, Jericho. Like all the gold, all the silver, that goes immediately to the Lord. We're putting that in the temple. You don't get to keep it. Well, Achan takes some of it. And so in in, in, uh, Joshua 7, they go into battle, and they're defeated, and it's very clear that the Lord is disciplining them for some reason. And in Joshua chapter 7, verse 21, it says, this is Achan talking, When I saw the spoil, a beautiful cloak from Shinar, 200 shekels of silver, and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, what does he say? I coveted them, and I took them. And see, they're hidden in the earth inside my tent, and the silver underneath. It's coveting that led him to break the seventh commandment, not to steal. Or the eighth, excuse me. Proverbs 21.6. The getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. It's coveting that lies behind the ninth commandment, not to bear false witness. I mean, do you get the point? Coveting is the reason we break the other commandments. Just like our first parents in the garden who saw that the tree was a delight and that it was beautiful to the eyes and desirable to make one wise, they took and they ate the forbidden fruit. And see, we're no different now in our day and age. Our discontentment festers and begins to find objects to latch onto. And then they begin to whisper some version of that age-old lie first heard in the garden. So we begin to think that until I have that relationship, until I have the approval of my parents, until I have that house, or until my children excel in something, until I have the body type I've dreamed of, until, 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 and slowly but surely in our minds we begin to say, if only I had, if only I looked, if only they thought about me this way. See, brothers and sisters, we have to be aware of if only words. See, instead of motivating us to contentment, they'll always lead us to a dissatisfied life and an idolatrous heart. David Strain puts it this way. He says, beware of living your life for if only. It's the whisper of the serpent, and it'll always leave your heart empty. So so what is it that, that, that you covet? What is it? I'm just going to go through a few, maybe some of the more popular ones. I just want you to search your heart and see if, if maybe you find yourself in some of these, all right? So, so maybe the thing that you covet is family, okay? Maybe you want a close family. And listen, I admit it, based on my upbringing, I covet what some of you have. I do. I, I wish I had a mom and a dad that came to all the kids' events. I wish there were grandparents always around. I covet those things. I'll be honest about that. But, but what about you? Do, do you covet family? Here, here's ways that you can tell if, if you're coveting family. If all you do is worry about your family all the time, you might covet family. Do you feel constantly let down by your family members? Maybe it's just always your family's doing something to just let you down all the time. You might covet family. Here's one for you, for you older parents. Do your kids complain you're always trying to control them? 35, mom! You might be a coveter. Okay, what about this one? Do you covet another's marriage? 
If you sit around and wish you were married to someone else, you might be a coveter. If you fantasize about leaving your marriage or or having a secret affair, right? Finding that old person on Facebook, you, you might be a coveter. Maybe you would never say it out loud, but you fantasize about a premature death so you could remarry without guilt. You might be a coveter. What about success? A lot of people covet success. So do you get irritated that you've been overlooked for certain opportunities? Do you resent those who are more successful than you? Maybe you're always trying to tear him down to show others that they really aren't that special. You know, that guy's really not as good as you think he is, right? Maybe you just constantly chafe over the fact that you aren't given credit for things. You might be a coveter. Okay, last one. Money. All of us would love to make more money. And working hard to make more money is a good thing. God wants us to work. There's nothing wrong with wanting to work hard to earn more. Okay? So so don't walk out here and go like, oh, Byron, no. There's nothing wrong with that. But listen to me. Is the good life always just about 10K more? All right? Like, if we we could just get there, we're going to be okay. Do you find yourself looking what other people have? We've already talked about this a little bit. Houses, clothes, maybe vehicles, right? I drive a minivan. Have you seen that thing? Okay. Yeah. I see a nice pickup every now and then. I go, whoo. All right. It's going to be unpopular, but are you in credit card debt? See, that's a sure sign of coveting. Again, I know it's unpopular, but it's very true. To get the lifestyle you want, you have to spend more than you make. Are you a generous person? If you can't give money away, it says something about your heart. And most of the time, the reason, all of us, myself included, can't give money away is because we go, money is what I've got to have to get what I want in life, so I I can't just part with it, right? I might need that to buy something on Amazon. I, I don't know. If you do give, do you give grudgingly? So do you drop that money in the plate or do you click the button online and just go, I'm going to do it, God, but you better bless me. Chances are you're a coveter. And, and on and on I could go about different things. We could talk about popularity. We could, we could talk about uh, our kids. I mean, we could keep going more and more and more, but I think we all get the point is that somewhere in here we find ourselves is that we're all coveters. C.S. Lewis said there's only two kinds of unhappy people in life. First, there's those who realize that they're never going to have what they most want, and so they just give up, and they get bitter, and they get angry, and they get cynical with life. We all know those people. But then there's the other kind of person, and that's the one who's obtained everything that they want, everything that they're seeking in life, and then that thing has let them down and left them wanting more. And I think if we're honest in this room, most of us live between these two, don't we? Is we, we never quite obtain what we want, but we still just keep thinking, oh, it's just right around the corner, right? Right? Just, just a little bit more. If I could just do just a little bit more. That's always the illusion, that it's just right there, but yet we never quite get there, do we? Again, C.S. Lewis had another great quote. He said, in life, there is the first thing, God. 
Then there's second things, marriage, family, career. And what C.S. said is this, is if you'll keep the first thing first, right, God, you'll find that you really enjoy the second things. But if you put second things first, not only will you lose the first thing, you'll start to hate the second thing. See, the Christian life is a paradox. I loved how J.D. Greer put it. He says, if you crave comfort, you find misery. If you crave love, you find loneliness. If you crave significance, you only find rejection. If you crave control, you'll only find chaos. If you crave reputation, you only receive humiliation. But listen, if you crave Jesus, not only will you get him, but along the way you'll find happiness, love, meaning, order, glory, all thrown in. See, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 25, Jesus says this. He says, for whoever would save his life will lose it, right? So in other words, whoever covets his life, whoever seeks to hang on to it for, for dear life, that person, he will lose his life. But then he goes on to say, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. See, coveting is the heart of all of our sins. Coveting is what destroys our lives. So how do you change that? Well, I think you know the answer. We all have to realize that Jesus is better than the things that we want. Look back in Exodus with me. Look at, look at verse 18 of chapter 20, okay? The commands have all been given, and then look what the people do. It says, now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid, and they trembled, and they stood far off, right? So they're scared to death of God and his holiness. And in verse 19, they said to Moses, you speak to us, right? We, we don't want him to speak to us. We get it. We can't do it. You do it for us, Moses, and we'll listen. But don't let God speak to us unless we die. See, they get it just like we have. After the commandments have all been given, they all go, we have failed, we cannot live up to this God's standards. This God deserves to kill us right where we stand. None of us meet their standard, right? Have you felt that way the last few weeks? I hope you have. I have. And in verse 19, they want Moses to stand in for God. They're like, hey, you speak to us. Don't let him speak to us, Moses. You're a human. But Moses even realizes that he can't do it, right? Moses has sin of his own. Moses was a great leader, but Moses would sin, and Moses is not going to be allowed into the promised land. Right? That's the story we don't tell the kids ever, do we? Right? In Deuteronomy 34, God brings Moses up on the mountain, and he's like, hey, I want you to see the promised land. And Moses is like, oh, there it is. Oh, all these years, man, it's so beautiful. And God goes, yeah, I'm going to kill you right here. What? Right? We don't tell that story. But Moses had his own sin. He doesn't get to go in. See, the law points us towards Jesus. Jesus would come and live a sinless life in full obedience to the Ten Commandments. But at the end of his life, Jesus would be punished and he'd be crucified for our sins. He would receive the penalty that we have incurred for our law-breaking. But it's called the great exchange, that Jesus took our sin and he put it away forever. I love what 1 John 1, 8, 9 says. It says, if we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, okay? The Ten Commandments expose that. You have sin, you can't deceive yourselves. And the truth is not in us. But what does he say? If we confess our sins, 
He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, I like what he says is that God is faithful and just. God's forgiveness of me, God's forgiveness of you is not mercy, it's justice. It's justice. Okay, so, so think of it like this. How many times have you done something and you've asked God for forgiveness? And sometimes when you ask for forgiveness, if you're honest, you go, yeah, God heard me, God's forgiven me, I know I'm forgiven, everything's good. But if you're honest, right, don't be a liar, right, we don't want God to have a problem with you there. A lot of times when we ask for forgiveness, we don't think God's forgiven us, do we? Right, we, we, we think that, man, he, he, he must want something else, I need to put an extra five in the plate, I need to work a little harder to be nice to people this week, or, um, you know, not kick my dog, or, or cat in my case, you know, and um, just, we need to do something. And I think what happens is a lot of us think Jesus up is, is up in heaven going, come on, God. I mean, I know Byron's a moron. I get it. The guy can't figure it out. I know he's a little slow, but please, just please, please be merciful to him. Don't, don't, don't kill him this time. And see, that's not how it works. Based on what First John's just told us is that Jesus demands my forgiveness. He demands it because it's justice that Jesus paid it all. So Jesus looks at God and says, hey, you can't lay this sin at his charge. I paid for it. It's covered. It's covered. See, when we understand that, when we get a hold of that, when you receive that gift of grace, when you understand that Jesus paid your debt, that you couldn't pay your debt, that you're loved by God not based on your ability to keep the Ten Commandments, but based on Jesus keeping them for you, that changes everything in your heart. That changes the whole trajectory of your life because then, and only then, will you be able to say with all of your heart, Jesus is better. See, Jesus is better than money. He owns all the money. And he promises to give you and I whatever we need. Jesus is better than human love. We have never been loved like we were when the Son of the God went to the cross for you and I. Jesus is better than earthly power. Folks, there is no greater power you can have than to know that you belong to God and that he sovereignly directs all things in your life, even your pain and your suffering for your good and for his glory. Jesus is better than popularity. Who cares if you're only known by a few nobodies? You're known by the God of the universe and that's better than being the most loved person in Spearman, Texas. See, the Ten Commandments really wants you and I to know that Jesus really is better than whatever it is you think your heart has to have. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for all that you've given us, and I thank you for the Ten Commandments. Please help us to, to realize today that these commands aren't thermostats that can change our heart. Instead, they're thermometers that shows us how desperately our hearts need Jesus. And so today, I, I pray for each and every one of us in this room, and I pray for our coveting hearts. We all have them. And so whatever it is that we're all coveting, or just thinking until, 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 Father, would you help us to see today that you really are better? That you're better than all riches, you're better than all human love, you're better than popularity, you're better than power. You are better. Help us to grab a hold of that today. 
If there's anyone in here that doesn't know you, I pray that as the gospel's been proclaimed, how Jesus exchanged our sin for his righteousness, and that there's nothing to do to earn or prove to God that Jesus did that for us, that today they would not leave here without grabbing me or Joe or a friend and just saying, I need Jesus. And I pray that somebody's life just be completely changed today. Thank you, Father, for all that you've given us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. If you would, please stand this morning.